Back and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hiya. Kerchow. <laughs> Sam is now into karate. Hiya. Hiya. Is- Outcast. Hiya. <laughs> Shout out. Outcast, if you're listening, thanks. Hey. <laughs> that was like hey. a. That was like a hey. really big kind of a kind of a deal back in the day. It's like a genre bender. Hey, ah. Hey. It was like, is yeah. this rap, pop? What is this? Well, there was this like, hey, I don't know, like, hey, ah. <laughs> when, when my kids were first born, uh-huh. I'd have like on Spotify, I'd have this like playlist. It was called like the best bath time playlist. I made mm. it. It's not something I oh, went to go look for. Made it. And like the first song on it was like so fresh, so clean. Yes. Which yes. I thought was really funny. That's well played. Um, but this is kind of going into a funny segue of like so there was like a Curious George movie and Jack Johnson had the whole oh yeah um, track list for the movie. It's a pretty good movie, and uh, like the soundtrack for it's pretty fantastic. Well, I ended up just started playing that because my kid was really into Cur- Curious George. Well, now I have both of them so conditioned. <laughs> That all I have to do is I just play the first like opening lines of that first song of tra- track one of that album, and my kids go upstairs to the bathroom. Hey, that's something. So if you want to operantly condition your children, you can do that with music. That's right. Pav- hey, uh- Pavlov. That's it. Isn't that what I'm it is? drooling. And I, yeah. Do you ever see the thing with like Pavlov where it's like, there's like a bunch of dogs and they're like, hey, every time I drool, this guy writes in his <laughs> uh, notebook. Uh, <laughs> not a family guy. Yeah. I don't know. I saw a, that in like a little a family uh, guy Pavlov skit. Was that it? I know there's a few in there. I don't know. Anyway, we got to get into this episode because we got a lot going on. Let's get into it. So today... We got a fun episode. Mm-hmm. We're kind of taking it a little bit light. It's summer. Summer. We're kind of kicking up the feats. And we might do one. We might do two Q&A episodes this year. It will all make sense down the line. But we're going to kind of take it easy for an episode or two. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. holy moly, have y'all delivered Thank on you. questions. Thank you. And we only gave you like four hours. Yeah. And so, and we, yeah, we have more than we'll probably be able to answer in this episode. So, anywho, but before that, Sam. Yeah, baby. Take us into housekeeping. Housekeeper! Keeper of the house. That's me. Hello, my friends, listener. Thank you for joining us again on another lovely episode. This is that special time, that unique time where you can go on your telephone telephone. It's like a telephone. (laughs) Your telephone right now. Screenshot this episode, an episode that you like in the past. Share it on Instagram. Put it on your story on Instagram. Tag Moses Mastering. Tag for the record mastering. And then we will share it with our followers. Cross marketing. It works so well. Y'all have been crushing it. Thank you so much. Seriously, like the amount of shares that have happened since we started asking you for your help, it's just humbling. So thank you. We appreciate it. The community is growing. I hope uh, you're meeting some new people through the cross-marketing. And uh, yeah, share the episode. Instagram, 
Tag us. We'll reshare it. That is housekeeping. Yes! I nailed it. I closed my eyes the whole time and really focused, and I felt great. End of housekeeping. Yeah, there's some times where I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to let my mouth... <laughs> Talk and I'm just gonna turn my brain off. We'll That's just right. see how this sounds. Close my eyes like Celine Dion singing <laughs> on stage. I understand now why she does that. All right, shout out Celine so Dion. We did a, a little uh, asking for some questions, and Sam has a few. I have quite a bit, and so why don't you? And I, I think we're gonna rotate. Yeah. I also posted it on. It's funny because I asked everyone to like don't tag the attack early show page, and I totally posted this on the attack early show page. And so, anyway, you can post on there. We're just not gonna see it. So, <laughs> anyway, why don't we do a little rotation yes. from yours to we'll do the attack. The attack early show page only is like two. We don't have a lot of followers on there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and then all kind of take reins and let's kind of like like no long monologues just like <laughs> short answers we got we got a lot okay i think the last time we did q a didn't we set a timer <sighs> shit did we i think we did there's an episode where we answered questions and we had timers because i, I do just remember that. cannot get it together you know if i have like if, if i mean if we have like 20 or so questions it's like two I minutes mean, piece we got to do like five minutes or so right because we got to be out of here. We got we got to go. We got stuff to do. We got to cook pork chops. Oh, nice. Sweet Seems potatoes. like a pour here. I don't know what. Oh, yeah. I got to go pick up. I think we're getting like Mexican for dinner. That means I got to go Ooh. run out in the rain. Okay. okay. I, I see how this works. Let's get in here. All right. Let's get you in. go ahead. Question number one. How do I approach sample work, spec work? That's the question, Matt. TD up. How are we... And we're just going to like kind of teach each other up on these? I guess. Isn't that what you just said? <laughs> no monologues. Yeah, I guess. Dialogue. Um, with that one, it depends on who the artist is. Um, I mean, if I like the song, then I don't I don't really mind doing it. Um, I don't know. I just kind of... You, you just kind of got to feel it out. Like, if it's like, oh, yeah, we don't really have any time or any money or anything, it's like, well, I don't got any business doing this. <laughs> right. Um Typically, I approach at this point. I approach it like apprehensive, but I also don't mind doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's got to like develop into like something. I don't mind if someone's like, "Hey, we're doing like a shootout or something." Like, I don't like shootouts, but I understand they're necessary, right? And I understand the point of it. But if I know I'm going into, I normally don't know if I'm going into a shootout. But if somebody's like, hey, would you mind like doing like a free little batch or not batch, but like song? <laughs> um, just like we're just trying to like I'm trying to convince the artist or something like that. Normally, normally what I'll see is like, yeah, you can just give us like a 30 second blip or something. Normally it's like, well, I'm printing the whole dang song. Right. You know, might as well. It's like, I'm just going to send you the whole song and I'm just going to hope you're an honest person. That's how I approach it. And normally nine times out of 10, it. Yeah, normally, like the ROI on it's pretty darn good. Yeah. So, what about you? Um, I would say, you know, at this stage, I don't really do any, um, but that's at this stage because mm-hmm. I have enough work out there that I feel like represents my quote unquote sound. So, if someone asks, you know, can you do a sample or a test and it's not a shootout, I'll usually send them my discography, make sure they understand who I am, not like who I am in a cocky way, but like, 
Here's my <laughs> um, weapon. Do you know who I am? <laughs> no, not yeah, definitely not like that. More like, did you just find me randomly? I want to make sure you like understand the type of records I make. You know what I do, my approach. So do you, you know just, who I am? Yeah. Do you know who I am? Um, I'll send them. You know my website. Make sure they've got all that, so they can take some time to educate themselves on who they're hiring. If they've already done, do you know all who that, I am? <laughs> that's pretty much that, like good lord. Thing, as much as you being that's around, that's not it. what it is. It's a making sure. I'm Sam Moses. They like, have, you know that guy in the Bible who was like put in the basket and floated down the river. Yeah, my uncle. My uncle. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just making sure they have enough. They know who I got. You get like a bunch of church work after this. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Anyway. You're like the Pope of mastering. Lord. Bless me. Okay. Um, So at this stage, I don't really do samples. I'll usually ask them if they have any concerns or any questions. And that usually resolves the need for a sample at this stage. But, big butt. Uh, big butt. <laughs> just yelled big butt. Um, if you are starting out and you don't have a large portfolio uh, or discography, probably the better word to say, um, then it might be worth doing that. Um, doing something for essentially, not for free, but telling them, hey, I'm happy to do a sample, um, you know, so you can hear what I can bring to the table. And, I also would always lead with two saying like, I would like to be compensated. If I'm doing a sample, I'd like to be paid regardless of if you use it or not. Um, Some people probably disagree with that, but I think that just establishes that you do value yourself even though you're willing to do a sample. I'm putting a Uh, timer on for the number of presses. Great, I'm almost done. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think saying like, hey, I'd be happy to do a sample, but I would still like to be compensated whether or not you use it. Uh, that just shows you value your time and what you're offering. If it's like, no, we want it for free, you know, we just need to hear if you're any good or not. I don't know. It's up to you. Like, if you really, if you have like no songs to ever to to show anyone, and you're just starting, it might be worth to like earn the trust of the client. But a lot of times in those situations, those that client is not going to be a great client long term. Um, they're probably at that stage shooting you out against a bunch of different people. <clears throat> And either looking for the cheapest thing, most likely, over the best sounding thing, or they're just looking for the loudest thing, is what I've learned too in those situations. So the loudest one always wins when I used to kind of participate in that more many moons ago. So you just have to do your due diligence and analyze it. As usual, the answer is it depends. Okay. Done. Well, hot diggity damn. All wow. right, let's just go on to your next one. Let's do your whole list. Oh, wow. And then we'll do a tag release show. Then we'll just go through mine. Okay, next question. Stock plugins or brand name? You would be surprised how often this question gets asked when people are like, I guess it's kind of like gear talk, but people ask, you know, stock plugins like Stock Logic or Pro Tools or whatever your inverse waves, UA, Plugin Alliance, blah, blah. Okay, Matt, go. Um, I would say brand name, and that's because I never really use stock plugins. However, every time I'm looking for a compressor, and I like, like after I deliver everything and whatnot, I'm like, man, I could probably just made that easy if I just use like the Logic compressor <laughs> and like just use a high pass. I'm like, I'm sure that would have been, or a low pass. What, what is it? Yeah, yeah, high pass. And I'm like, that would have been a lot easier than what I did. 
And not that like I over-processed anything, but it's just like I could have probably gotten to where I needed to go a lot quicker mm-hmm. than like searching through everything and whatnot. And so, yeah. Anyway, um, brand name, but it's kind of because I don't really remember that I have stock plugins. <laughs> so that's that. Great. Next. Uh, my, am I answering it too? <laughs> well, I thought you just did. The stock plugin versus brand name? I didn't answer I it at all. Oh, I thought you did. No, I just said people ask me that quite often. Oh. Are you listening, mm-hmm. Matt? <laughs> no, I'm actually downloading a timer for my computer. <laughs> you are. That sounds so on brand for you. On brand. I know. <laughs> um, but it's like only set to 25 minutes, which mm. is kind of annoying. I'm going to give my hot take. Stock plugins. Hot take. I love them. Okay. I use them all the time. I use Logic EQ all the time. I use Logic stuff all the time. Okay. All the time. If we've worked together, I've used a stock plugin on your song. I'm pretty sure. Um, brand name. Brand name stuff is great. Love brand name stuff. Sometimes it is better quality. I find the limiters on brand name stuff to be better than stock limiters personally um, over the years. But EQ-wise, stock EQs are pretty great. Um, I think for me, I just view it all as like tools. They all sound different. So comparing one seven-band EQ to the next, um, they do sound different, even within stock against stock. Um, So, you know, learn what they sound like. Read manuals. um, Learn that emulations are going to sound a certain way. That'll be most mm-hmm. of the brand name stuff. But even Logic has a lot of emulations now. They included, you know, Vintage EQ, 2BQ, the compressors they expanded and they each represent, you know, like 1176 or a 2A or the Red Comp. So just do your research. I do find, to be honest, Logic stock stuff, compressor-wise, to actually be more accurate. I want to say it, honestly, more accurate than any other emulations. I don't know if people know, but like the Logic compressors are emulating... Famous compressors. Nice. Every, that's why I'm so mad every time I forget that they're there. They sound, they have actual harmonic content to them. Like they they're get really dirty nice. and you can push them and they break up differently than any other like Waves 1176. Like the Logic compressors to me sound more like analog than any other emulation out there. Um, so I'm just going to put that out there. Okay. End. End of discussion. Next question. All right, go on to your next one. This, I think we've done kind of an episode around, but you can give a quick and, quick and dirty. How do I... Five minutes start. How do I get consistent clients? Give consistent results. Oh, my gosh. Drop <laughs> the mic. <laughs> okay, I'm going to answer it, too. How to get consistent clients? You have got to... Make sure people know who you are, what you do, and where they can find you. Over and over again. Over and over again. That's it. Next question. Dang, 30-second question. <laughs> that's this the num- thing that's won't stop. The number one thing, when I talk to people, they're like, how do I get clients like you? Like, you have so many clients. I just make sure everyone knows who I am, what I do, and where they can find me. Over and over again. And I'm like, are you doing that? They're like, No. Are you messaging people? No. Are you posting on Instagram? No. Are you talking to people in town? No. Come on, my friends. There's plenty of mastering work out there. Like, and here's the other thing you too, can do is it. that like if you've been doing this for like a year or two, like it's it's not gonna happen that right. quick. And you're gonna have downtime and you're gonna be like 
sitting around fudding your dud, being like, oh, what the heck? Like, fudding your what dud. Do we do now? Uh, my grandfather always used to say that. Quit fudding your and, dud. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know if he meant something dirty by that, but <laughs> probably. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, you're just kind of sitting around wasting time, burning daylight, and it's like that's going to happen. And it's like if you don't follow up with people and if you don't like keep on making connections and whatnot and keep yep. getting yourself out there, that's going to happen. I feel like and it so, took me almost five years to get consistent clients. And that was I would, that was me like being very proactive. <laughs> yeah. In Nashville. I mean and like someone like me who has like another job who like is not spending every single hour of the day being proactive. I mean I don't know. It took me a little bit longer. What year are you right now? Like 11 or 12? This is like year 12, yeah. I'm working on, I think, like year eight or so. And so it's like, yeah, it's just going to like it's gonna take a while. So that's that. All right, next question. Woo-hoo! What do mixes from the top mixers sound like and how do you approach them when you're mastering? They like mainly sound perfect <laughs> and a lot of times you don't really do a lot correct i think it's probably like more of like what you don't do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like matters and it's at that point it's more of like a quality check yeah and it's like a lot of people also don't want you effing with their stuff that's correct and so <laughs> you leave it alone i have a question like that yeah um that i I, I we'll we'll tie these two together. Okay. Let me go to. It's a good segue because that's the last question I had. Let me go to my DMs real quick. We'll see if that answers. <laughs> I'll just this say question. for me, it's a similar of a. I want to say top mixers. Most of the mixers are freaking awesome, so they are really great. That's something I feel like people don't understand. Is like they're really great. Yeah. They actually are terrific. Ninety-five percent of the time, they are like better than most mixes. Um, this is a guy I chat with in Germany who's oh, pretty cool. Number two, I'll say uh, you don't do a lot to them because you know as a oh, mastery engineer going. that... Yeah, I'm still going. <laughs> I got two minutes. That uh, It's like the presidential debate. I get two minutes. You know that the record is basically done. That's why you don't do a lot because you understand where a record needs to go and you've heard enough mixes, enough finished enough records to know that this mix is pretty much there. And three, most of them are heavily compressed that I get. And most people, I feel like, don't understand how much compression these top mixers are doing overall. Like, smashing it to death. In a good way. Sounds great still, but they are compressed. Okay. End of discussion. Don't be, uh, I'll say, don't be scared to mix into a limiter. I'm going to read this question from this dude who I chat with in Germany, who's a pretty cool dude. And it's kind of like a similar question. We can decide if it's like kind of the same answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you start out in mastering, you are most likely working on a lot of stuff that is from new artists, engineers. Uh, means that most likely not a range mix recorded to its full potential. Mm-hmm. So you have to do more in the mastering stage to bring it to its full potential. Mm-hmm. Could also mean fix some stuff. Mm-hmm. As um, you're working with higher clients, mixes get better, hopefully, and mm-hmm. uh, you're no longer, I'm kind of, 
I'm just kind of, yeah, my, my brain's farting between what some of these words are going into the sentence. And you're no longer having to do as much to bring the mix to its final stage. How do you both handle that transition? That's interesting. How do you handle the transition from like mixes that might need some stuff to mixes that are pretty much ready to go um, to not have to overdo the better mixes because you think you need to? Um I don't know. I kind of think that's a little bit of a question because there is a bit of like a transitionary period. But I also, I I also kind of feel like you're doing so much of this work that you're just like, yeah, this is great. Right. This really doesn't need a lot. And you just kind of like generally that much processing, you're, you have the mental faculty to just say, this is not needed. Right. And that's that. Do you have anything on that? Yeah, I would say my answer would be experience. Like that's an experience thing of kind sure. of like what I said of knowing what mixes sound like, knowing what great ones sound like, knowing what finished records sound like, and knowing when to, what'd you say, fud your dud? <laughs> We're not going to say that on the air anymore. <laughs> we should probably look that up before we post this. When you're going to do that, not. So it's a good question, honestly, because I do remember throw in the kitchen sink at stuff for many years because I needed to um, and now it's not so much that and there is a a few kitchen sinks laying around still yeah every once in a while but there's restraint in knowing that you really at the end of the day get paid to know if a record's done or not and that's like your number one job I think mindset (laughs) so hey biggie Um, excuse me burped so that's my answer okay next okay um, let me figure out what the heck this timer's doing. Uh, okay, start. Is clipping a good way to get a master loud? Uh, can be. I mean, I would, I always go for EQ balance first before I would clip. Sure. Um, clipping is a form of basically compression limiting, so you're just making things more loud more often. It does it differently, but... Clipping is basically just removing transients and making everything more loud. So usually does it in a bit more brutal, distorted type of way. Um, so it's a certain sound. It creates more perceived loudness usually via distortion. So that's why clipping sometimes sounds louder than traditional compression limiting, which is more respectful of your transients and how it goes about it. Well, well also like clipping is a byproduct of something. Yeah, it's a byproduct of overloading something, basically. Yeah, and so it's like, is it a way, good way of getting something loud? It's like, well, it's pretty freaking loud if you're clipping. Right. But um, I wouldn't use that as my main avenue to get something loud. I would. I use clipping more of like an attitude kind of a thing. Right. It's like I want to get like more punch. I want to get more like thwack or wow or kick or something just to like hit more and have a little bit more character. And that's when I'm going to use clipping more. And yeah, you're going to get a little bit of level out of it. But I mean, I never use a really, I don't use like a lot. Yeah. I'm not really heavy handed with, with clipping, but I mean, it's pretty sweet what it does. So... You have anything else on that? No, that's good. All right. Uh, start the timer. How often do you, once a master is done, try uh, try out different limiters to see how they sound? Uh, that's a great question. So, like, how often do you, like, audition different limiters? Um, 
I would say quite often. I would, well, at least a few times a week, I'll audition limiters. Yeah. And just pop one in, pop one out um, to see the tonality. But I pretty much know at this stage what the limiters sound like and how they're going to react. So I'm like, oh, this one's brighter, this one's fatter, this one's overall balanced, this one's thuddy. So I kind of know which one to pull up first. Um, sure. Same with plugins at this stage. So, but there was definitely a period of time of doing that for sure. I think it's super valuable. That's how you learn your tools. So I recommend people doing that. You can even do EQs. I, I've done that with EQs, plugins before I had gears. Oh, yeah. I would set the same curves, you know, when talking about stock sure. or brand, the same exact curves on different plugins and just audition them in and out on a song and see how it changes. And it changes drastically, <laughs> the tone. Yeah. So that's my answer. What about you? Yeah, I would say for now, um, I'm auditioning limiters on just about everything that I do. But I'm kind of in like a bit of a like a limiter change kind of a thing. I've been really enjoying and it's like you go I I, I love listening to our old episodes, not because I'm a narcissist and like to hear myself talk, but I kind of like hearing like my journey. It also keeps me humble to kind of have this like little journal of like where we have been. And I've like, I used to not really like DMG stuff and now I'm kind of falling in love with it slowly. And I'm playing there. I'm normally toying between their limiter and the FabFilter Pro L2, which was like my main squeeze of a limiter but like the DMG Limitless is just so daggum clean and it also offers like all these functions to where like I kind of want a little bit more of this range. Well, you got an EQ on this and you do have a clipper on this without having to set up the limiter as a clipper. And then you can go into the individual limiting functions and you can like really dial that in. Um and I don't really get like I don't really get a lot of revisions, which isn't like a bragging point, but it's like if I did and I had that limiter, it could potentially like if it's like an EQ adjustment, it's like, okay, yeah, once again, I got that EQ right there. Or I can just I might be able to take care of it just at the final I don't know, if I have four plugins post print, post analog print, and say the EQ's at the beginning of the chain, but in that I got an EQ on the limiter. If I go to the EQ in the beginning of the chain, I'm messing with all the gain staging thereafter mm-hmm. until that limiter, where I can just kind of mess with it at the final limiting part, and then I'm good to go. And so that just kind of, I don't know, I, I, I auditioned quite a bit for right now. I, I might, But like when, when I kind of fell in love with the Pro L2, I didn't like audition anything at all for years. So it just kind of is what it is. All right. You got anything else for that one? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, that's reset. Okay. Now we'll get on to my list. Let me kind of like refresh it just in case anyone did write in. Uh-huh. In the, we probably won't get to it if they did write in. Welcome to my list. <laughs> Um, this was like a three-part question. Mm, fun. Um, this guy is wondering if um, 
most mastering engineers will be redundant in the future due to people learning to to do basic masters using easier tools like Goldfoss. You know what? I honestly think mastering could become something that we don't do anymore, like needed. Yeah. To be honest, I mean, we can always make the argument, but you need a you know someone who knows. It's my argument I have now because I believe in it and that people don't know really what great mixes sound like or they're finished and how to get them you know, across the finish line because they're not listening to enough records and studying it. Sure. But if tools do get better, like if AI gets better, if the way plugins analyze things, it can do that for you, as that gets better, absolutely. I could see mastering as we currently do it going away, 100%. That's why I'm going to sell pizzas because um, everybody will still want to eat pizza. <laughs> I think. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's possible. I think too. What's what I've seen and observed is that people can get better at things quicker now with education if they want to educate mm-hmm. themselves. So like some of my mixers I work with, they're hot refs are really good. Like, could it come out and compete and translate well? The answer is yes. Do I know how to quote unquote make it better? based on knowing them and the client and our end goal. Yeah, I think I add something to that still. But I do think in time, there could be a lot more people being a one-stop shop, but it will require discipline on some level of those people to really learn how to quote-unquote master. But I think if the tools get easier and the education gets better, that'll be the big thing. The education on mastering is still so terrible on the internet. Mm -hmm. Like... And I keep watching companies try and take a swing at the mastering like pie of creating like courses and whatnot. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like, I'm I, this is giving me more job security. <laughs> so it's it'll have to be something where like the education gets better or the plugins come with education, which is a thought I've had for a long time. Is like, why are these plugin companies not making like an e course for their plugin? I know they give like little five minute, like, here's a tip or like how to use it on our website to show it off. But if someone made a mastering plugin and then included like a 10 series on how to master with the plugin and how to think about it, how to use it, I think that would be dope. Okay, I'm done. You done? Yeah. <laughs> Two minutes. Um, so do I think that mastering engineers will be replaced as it can be seen as a redundant process uh, because of tools like Goldfoss. One, I don't think Goldfoss is that great. I right. own every version of it, and yeah. I don't really like it. So I don't think that's the one. <laughs> in the raw form of the question, that's not it, and the answer is no. Um, I also don't think that anything really beats an independent set of ears, and I think like it's still lost that like mastering isn't just all loudness. Right. And so it's like... Yeah, there is a loudness component to it, but the loudness component is generally a byproduct of the quality process. Yeah. And if somebody does want it to compete at a certain level, then yeah, sure, mastering does play a significant part. And audibly, that is like the most discernible um, aspect of it, but I don't think that... I mean, I mean, this this can the case can even be made as well. I mean, you go back and you listen to the episode we did with Christian Steinmetz, and he's creating an AI platform that essentially replaces the mix engineer. Right. So it's like, 
we're all going to repl- be replaced by robots. It's just about who's going to be first. Right. Also, I'll I'll say this for the last minute and seventeen seconds I have left. Um. So in another life ago, I was a pilot, and, and just like private pilot, nothing like crazy. And like I did want to go into the Air Force when I was a kid. And there was that whole like scare amongst pilots of like, oh, we're going to be replaced by like AI and drones and all this stuff. And it's like, you know what? There's all, and it's like everything I've ever done has been like, we're going to be replaced. Um, there's always that fear, but there's never a good, like a perfect substitute so far for a human and for human emotions and human everything. And it's like, yeah, you can have AI platforms and everything saying that humans are going to like this and appreciate it because it's what they have liked and appreciated over the years. But still, it's not analyzing it in an emotional way. Not saying AI will not be able to analyze something in an emotional way down the future, but that's another question that was not asked. So 12 seconds left, and we're going to reset the timer. Okay. Um, That's not a mastering question. How to find a mentor um, starting out in mastering? What would you do, Sam? Such a good question. I I mean, I struggled to find a mentor um, from a mastering perspective pretty much my whole time thus far still. Um, I I did one quick little internship at a mastering studio in town here when I moved here that lasted briefly and ended up not being a good fit. And I basically learned what I didn't want to do, um, how to master from that. And then outside of that, I just was like, you know what? I think I can do this on my own. Not And on my own mean like I can be disciplined and trial and error and work and read and study and listen, really listen. I was like, all I need to do is really learn how to listen. Um, which of course be like, well, how do you listen? See our previous episodes. Um, but if you want to, like, there's been a couple guys now in my later career that I've gotten to know that are some, a couple guys that I really love their work and they're a couple of the best master engineers to ever exist and kind of came in contact with them by me just reaching out to them. And one of them reached out to me and that's kind of how that happened. So to answer the question, I would say just reach out to people. Um, I feel like, to be honest, Matt and I do a really good job at helping people with mastering. We don't really offer one-on-one mentoring, but I have answered a number of questions in depth and even sent voice memos that are 20 minutes long to a number of our audience people if you ask me a question about mastering or send me stuff to check out. So I'll put that out there again. If you if you have questions or thoughts, I can't offer you a one-on-one mentorship or of, of any type, but I'm happy to, to give specific answers when I have time. Um, but it's something that is a great it's a great question. Like most of the top older dudes are not really interested in doing that. A lot of master engineers, I think, are extremely insecure as well. Um, and so they think if they tell you how they do their thing, you're just going to steal it and go start your own thing. Um, if you really want to be mentored by like the top people, then you've got to go try and get an internship or an assistant position at one of the big box places, um, and tr- and try and work your way up and and be able to eventually maybe maybe take take over. 
but that is like a lottery pick thing. If I've learned anything in, in, in my 12 years doing that and watching people try to go that route, nine times out of 10, what's going to happen is you are eventually going to get let go, not because you're bad at your job, but because you're good at your job <laughs> and you're a threat to the top engineers. So they'll let you go and be like, you got to go find your own stuff. At that stage, you got to go find your own clients again because you've been getting fed Two clients. Minutes. Thank you. So mentorships are not always great. Um, you got to find the right person. I would get a business mentor. That's what I did. I found like guys mm. who are in different industries who had great multi-million dollar businesses and asked them, how did you do this? You apply that to your mastering business and that won't take care of the sonics necessarily, but it will take care of the main component, which is you are a business. <laughs> and if you do not know how to run a business, it is irrelevant if you have the best ears on the planet. That's that's just part of the equation. Okay. Done. Well, with the minute and a half we have left. You can talk um, for two minutes, Matt. No, no, no. Come on. Um essentially my my thing is find someone um, who does what you want to do um, and pretty much just expect no is going to be an answer. Um, and then whenever you do get that no, if you don't get that no, then good for you. Um, when you do get that no, though, um, know that like community of peers is almost better mm-hmm. because like learning like autodidactically, self-taught, is uh, way more rewarding, like finding that path mm-hmm. and like blazing your own trail as opposed to like someone just being like, yeah, just do it this way. And then you're kind of like locked in that. And as opposed to like, you've kind of like had to go through like a learning process. Um, With that said, I do have people who reach out to me asking for mentorships. Um, I do it every now and then. I don't mind doing it. Um, It's probably not as thorough, but I mean, I got a lot of stuff going on, so I don't mind to do that. And then people like, like, who like won't do it, who are like, oh no, they're going to steal my settings kind of thing. To that, I say, one, that person who wants to men- like you to teach them how to master, they 100% do not and will not hear music the same way that you do. They will not emotionally respond to it in the same way that you do. And even if they do, they buy the exact same gear, they buy the exact same everything. They will not handle customers the same way that you do. Mm-hmm. 90% of this, if not more, is how you handle your clients. Mm-hmm. And if you're all butthurt because of revisions and stuff like that and crying and like whining about, oh, I got revisions today and all this stuff, it's like that's going to like elicit an emotional reaction from you to your client. And I mean, whether and then it's going to affect how you respond in regards to that revision and if you're actually able to kind of dig yourself out of that kind of emotional response. And so I feel like the vast majority of this is how you deal with and manage and schedule and take care of your clientele. You want a good answer for like how you get repeat clients. It's once again, it's like you got to like give a good consistent result. So... Anywho, I'm going to stop there. Amen. Um, uh, how do you find the right mastering engineer, Sam? How do you find the right mastering engineer? What do you look for I mean, when looking for the right mastering engineer for a product? 
I would look at the records they work on and listen to what they've done. That'd be step one. And then two, I mean, that's kind of it. Like, because not everybody's bedside manner is terrific. So I would say, like, try and form a relationship. But also, at the same time, I think people misunderstand that because when you get really busy, you don't have time to, like, really form a friendship. And I think that's what people confuse, like, friendship and working relationship. Because, like, with me, the amount of volume I do, I just don't have time to, like, become buddy buddies with everybody. And sometimes people, well, not sometimes, every week there'll be people like, I want to talk on the phone with you, you know, and get to know you before I work with you. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. it just won't happen. I can't say yes to those five phone calls a week. Like, you can fill out the form, ask as many questions as you want on that. But if you cannot tangibly tell me your thoughts, concerns, or questions, then we definitely don't need to jump on the phone. You know, like it's just, you have to understand that like professionals who are busy don't really have time to become friends with you. They have time to answer your questions and concerns and educate. They should be doing that, but they don't have time to just chit chat and become buddies with you. So you feel good about that person, like you have a relationship with them. That's not even what you should be most concerned about. You should be most concerned about, do you like the sound they're cranking out? (laughs) That's what you should be concerned about. Okay, done. Um, With me, it is, if you're hiring a mastering engineer because you heard their podcast, because you saw them on YouTube, because they have a pretty studio, because they tell you that you should only make things so loud, because they say there's going to be a penalty if you don't do shit like their way. Come on. If you're doing anything because of that and you're not listening to their work, then you're going to have a bullshit product, and that's how you should choose a master engineer. You should listen to their work. Come on. 100%. Does, and how relevant is their work? If their work is not relevant, and if it's not relevant to anything that you're doing, you should not choose that person. Amen. 100% if you side with like what they are doing and what they're working on, that's how you should choose. Love so, it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> next one. We need to kind of dial back how long we're going because I still have a decent amount more. Well, just keep rolling. Um, keep rolling. Can y'all talk about your approach to metadata, DDP, submitting info to Grace Note? So we have a whole episode on DDP and metadata. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about, I'll just let you talk for like three minutes or two minutes on submitting stuff for credits and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't do it. I would so. say I don't do anything either. There's no, there's no place to submit credits. Like the label will take care of it. It depends on what system you're talking about. I mean, Gracenote you can definitely do, but I don't do that for my clients. It's not my responsibility to manage my clients' like yeah. data. And that's what yeah. I'll tell clients sometimes when they're like, are you going to upload and do all this? I'm like, no, that's not my job. My job is not to manage your royalties or make sure you register it with a performing rights organization and copyright. Like That's on you. I have templates I don't say in, in a jerk way. I feel like I was being a jerk right then. I have educational like templates in my email that I'll copy and paste to them, and, and it'll tell them step by step. Like here's Grace Note. If it's going to radio, you should register it here, here, here. You should for sure do this. Um, that's how I handle that. You know, and that's kind of it. Like especially now with digital release. Yeah, you're going to type in your own information to your distributor. The client is going mm-hmm. to do that. You can't even upload it yourself as mastering engineer. So. It's going to fall on the client. So just make sure the answer really is educate your client on how it works. So you learn how it all works. Then you basically tell the client, here's how it works, and that's your responsibility. 
I'd also say like if you're coming at this from like you, the mastering engineer, wants credit for something, just know that your job is just to master records. Right. Like it's not to be like, oh, I I need to get credit for everything. It's like, you know what, buddy? It ain't gonna happen. Right. Um I don't even know when half my stuff's released anymore. Right. And it's just I don't really even know who the artist is half the time. I see the stuff. I ask for all the information on artists so I can kind of follow them and follow along and whatnot. But I mean, it's coming in kind of so quick and going out that I'm not, I'm honestly not tagged in much anymore. Yeah. And so I'm assuming it's my master because that client keeps coming back. But <laughs> um, yeah, I should probably reach out and be like, hey, tag me on this stuff. But people are like a lot of my mixers too, like aren't even on. Yeah. Like, Instagram actively, and so it just people are I don't way post too a lot because I don't know about a lot. So right. sorry, that's man. that. So anyway, uh, moving on. Do clients ever ask you to go extreme on tracks? If so, how far have you gone? Let's do two minutes. Uh, yes, is the answer. I mean, a lot of times at this stage, people <clears> say, "Hey, I want the most master touch. I want the most master sound. I want the magic. I want the <laughs> Sam sauce. I want the bar." Like, and so that means do whatever I want to it. You know, for the most part. Um, so yeah, I mean, extreme, I don't know exactly know what that means, but I've like definitely flipped mixes on their head, you know, where it's like, this sounds 90% different, you know, or I've done something crazy parallel blending or I'll process the song in different ways for different sections, you know, and it'll sound way quote unquote better. I would say the extreme yeah. is when I do get a mix that's not great. And I'll just be like, you know what? I'm going to swing for the fences and <laughs> do everything I know how to do to this. And nine times out of ten, they're like, holy crap. How did this happen? And I'm like, I just worked on it. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay. I would say... I mean, I get I get some clients that say like, pretty, actually, all my clients are like, yeah, do your thing, right? And I do my thing, and they really like it. And um, I wouldn't say I ever really go extreme. Sometimes, actually, I recently had a client who said, yeah, we went kind of crazy on the outro of this song, and feel free to lean into it if you want. And I mean, it was more just like making sure that like that. In all honesty, like it was making sure that like one stuff was loud that like. What got loud made it through the final limiter. It didn't get yeah. the, like the bejesus crushed out of it. Um, but it's like I totally let some of my stuff like distort into it because I thought it was kind of fun, and it added like analogy kind of distortion to it as opposed to just like digital. Like, <laughs> and so that was kind of nice. Okay, uh, that was two minutes. Let's see. Uh, start the clock. Compress or expand in mastering, Samuel. Such a great question, honestly. Yeah. I love expansion. I think expansion's underrated. It's misunderstood. Um, expansion will create groove and swing, where compression to me creates glue and cohesiveness. So if you've got a boring song, educate yourself on expansion. If you've got a wild song, learn how compression works. Done. Yeah, I would say... I don't think I've ever used expansion on a song. And I think I probably should now. So, <laughs> yeah, I've only used compression. So, I've always like, I don't know, it's it's like even like when I do front of house, like I never used gates because I just never thought that a, 
I never heard a gate that I liked. Mm-hmm. And there was never like enough junk that a gate was cutting out that sounded better than the gate just not being there. That means you had it's like good if mic you're like technique. doing something with like <laughs> like vocalists that are by the drums, it's like, well, their vocal is going to be like all choppy in and out. Right. Or it's like you hear somebody use a gate in like a really dry environment where there's like one microphone and like like a podium kind of a thing. And right. then like you hear like the it's just like cutting on and then cutting off <laughs> yeah. and cutting on. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is torture. Okay, start the clock for the next one. What's the most amount of songs that you have finished in one day? 24. Same. Holy Moses. <laughs> oh, like that one. 24. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's good. I normally I normally don't go beyond like one LP. But like I only have like a few I have like two sessions a day, a morning session and an evening session. I think the most I ever did was 15. 24 is a lot. If I did this all day, I could probably get that much. Yeah, you could do it. But I normally also like I limit how many songs I take in in a week. And so it's like I won't let myself work on more than the most I've ever let myself work on in a week is 35, which is a lot for me because my morning session and if like I know it's going to be that much, it's going to be from like 5 a.m. until 9 and then from like 9 a.m. and then from like 4.30-ish until like 6 when I leave. And so I really kind of like don't let myself go over that. And if I am that slammed, then I just raise my rate. All right, we're done. Um, 24 is a lot. Mm-hmm. It is. You had to be tired. Yep. How did <laughs> you how did you up your rates? Did you lose people on the way? Did you ever regret it, Samuel? Uh, I upped my rates when I wanted to. I just felt like I was not making enough money and I needed to make a certain amount of money to keep the business going how I wanted to and the lifestyle I wanted. Uh, I just upped them kind of like overnight. I grandfathered a lot of people in who were paying me the less rate. And then all new clients got pitched the new rate. I lost, I don't know. I don't really feel like I've ever lost people due to rate overall. I've lost people because they quit making music. That's really mm. it. That's what I've noticed in 12 years. It's not been a rate thing. There's so many people I used to work with that I don't, and it has nothing to do with rate. It's they just stop making records. Because um, most won't make it. Not in a negative way. It's just you give it a, a two-year run, five-year run, and you go, that was great, or I'm done, or I want to keep going. Um, I've always found when I raise my rates and stick to my rates, I have always made more money. Mm-hmm. Always. And I don't want to say better clients, but because that's such a weird thing to say because I have then you're basing clients based on how much they can pay you. But there does seem to be still an association of monetary value with clients that understand that quality costs money, mainly because quality takes time or quality requires experience, which required the person's time to get the experience. So that's why you pay more. Okay. Uh, That's on it. me. Um, so we also have like several episodes on this topic, yeah. And you, it's pretty easy to go check out. Um, 
Matt has a great formula. I upped my rates from <laughs> 50, like from like the first however many years, to 85 to uh, 125. And I document that whole journey. I also have like a formula that I made for when to know whether to bring your rates up or down. And I also have one about bringing your rates back down. Um, I did regret going up as high as I did to a degree, um, but I compensate for that with, like, I compensate for that now, uh, and it's not compensate for that. I adjust for stuff now, and I'm not going to probably ever podcast about why I do that until probably a lot later, uh, until... I'm not doing what I'm doing right now, but I really like what I'm doing now, so I'm not going to really talk about it because <laughs> unless you DM me, I'll, I'll totally tell you about it, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. Um, did I lose people on the way? I think I lost three clients through everything, but in all honesty, the clients you gain are so much better than the clients you lose. Yes. Um, did I regret it? I regret going up as high as I did, but I was like, no kidding, like five and six weeks booked out as like a single person doing this. And at like a one man show, and I was like, yeah, "This is like, I had to do something." And so, raising my rates was the right ticket. Um, okay, so next one, reset my timer. Start. I'm keeping an eye on the actual clock too. Mm-hmm. Sam, what is your most beloved button? Button, be a yep. wet dry knob, a parallel mix there knob. You. That's it. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I would say it would probably be insert one on the manly backbone because that inserts all my manly gear and I love how that shit sounds. <laughs> it'd either be that or it'd be the on button on the Oxford inflator. I, I was really going like to say the, the, the engage button, turning something on the, or off. <laughs> The engage button on the inflator is quite possibly one of my favorite yeah. buttons. Um, okay, so that was quick. Reset. This is small text. Most not <laughs> most not a master plugin that you use for mastering that would have I gotta like Oh, this is funny. Most not a master plugin that you use for mastering that would have you burned at the stake by Bobcats. Bobcats. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it was funny. Love the specifics. Uh, I don't know what the hell I'd say for this. I don't know. I mean... Pretty much what would make Bobcats yell at you. I mean, anything stock, <laughs> I feel like, would be inferior. Like a stock sure. logic EQ that's definitely not like linear phased and doing perfect something that like All brings in distortion i was gonna either say that or like uh sometimes we did that i think we talked about using at least i sometimes we'll use reverb or even slap delay on stuff yeah to make it feel bigger when it's lifeless yeah, that one's funny yeah um for me though one i mean i'll say one of the plugins i really like is um that I use quite often is Logic's Bit Crusher. Mm-hmm. That one's dope. You can dial that thing in to taste. It's the limiter section or clipper section. No, it's a clip section. Is It's got a mid-range thing that literally nothing else does, plug-in or hardware. 
and it, it's special. Whatever it's doing, it's very special. <laughs> okay. I don't know what mine is. I don't, I don't know if I use like non-mastering related plugins. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It would be... Matt's a purist. I'm not a purist. I just I, I, I would just prefer to go out of the box, I suppose. Right. Um, Bob doesn't really seem like much of a saturator guy. Mm, so I don't think so. I'll, I'll take a safe route and say Saturn 2. <laughs> That'd be funny. Like my answer is like Lurus and Mastering Console. <gasps> That'd be funny. I'm kind of like panning through plugins that I might use. But like like all of them are like pretty dang tame. Nothing's like real nuts. I de- I would definitely have to like land on a saturator of some kind mm-hmm. that Bob doesn't use. I don't know. Sorry if that was like a little <laughs> underwhelming, I suppose. Uh blah, 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 blah. reset timer. Uh what do you think are the most analog sounding and feeling plugins? 3D depth width thicky. Logic stock compressors. <sighs> um, the, like thick with two C's. The um, sound toys. PsyQ, S-I-E-Q. Very analog. Um, the old Waves Neve stuff, the V-Series which most people don't know, that's Neve modeling. That's their first Neve emulation. Uh, the V-series stuff, extremely, extreme Neve. That feels very Neve-y, if I could say that. And most people don't know that. Check out the V-series stuff um, from Waves. And... Yeah, that's kind of it. It's hard. There's not a ton to me. Um, I would say my favorite 2256. Is that a 2254, 2256? What's the, what's the number? The Neve compressor? Yeah. I think it's uh, 56. Well, I, if if worst case scenario, we're two digits away. Um, I would say Plugin Alliance's version of that is if I need something to be like thick with two Cs, it would be that. Um it's 54. I also said that I didn't like that HG2 black box emulation from Plugin Alliance, and I've walked that back. I think that thing is pretty darn analog-y sounding. Um, I also really like that vintage limiter from Ozone. Like, the analog part of it's pretty analog-y, and the 2B version of it's like, oh, there's all that midfield bloom I was missing. Um the UAD, the the Fairchild 670 they do, I think is really nice. Um, I think that like if I need to kind of like take an edge off of something in an analogy way, I'll do that. Um, I mean, I'll even round stuff out with Soothe. I don't mind Soothe. My favorite analogy plugin of all time is that Ampex uh, by UAD, the ATR 102. Favorite plugin of all time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it. So that's mine. Great. Um, so reset this. I got my eyes on the clock, so we're kind of getting near Sam. We can keep going like ten more minutes. If you, if yeah, I can't. Time. I can't though. Okay, great. We'll wrap so when you need. Six fifteen, my time. I got to cut off. Okay. 
tips for smoothing out deharshing the high mids without losing the energy in the range. Funny thing is, today the DSer episode came out. Yes. So you should go check out that episode. Check that out. But what would you say? Uh, boost low and mid range till you don't hear the top in harshness anymore. Boost until your problems go away. There Sam it is. Moses. Get this man a shirt. <laughs> um, is that all you got? Pretty much, or multi-band maybe on a yeah. certain area. I don't know. Listen to the DS mm. episode. Mine would be... I mean, I would definitely grab Soothe. Um, and I'd try it out. It doesn't work for everything. Above 6K, I'd use that Weiss DSer. But also, that Weiss DSer works really good on the vocal range, especially... And I use it on male vocals, but female vocals. Um, it's got like a range... And it's like like male vocals are more like undulating in the frequency spectrum and female vocals are more, they can be a touch more peaky just because they're in that like kind of range. Um, and so like all, I, I've had decent luck with the Weiss DSer on uh, using that with uh, female vocals that might be a touch peaky. Um, yeah, I'd say that those are my go-to off the top of my head. I I really like that um, the FabFilter Pro C. I like that a lot. That's a pretty good compressor if you do need something. But generally, I want something that's like a little less uh, broadband. And you can get into like some sidechain with it, but generally I like a little bit more customizability. Or, you know, like you said, Sam, stock compressor. <clears throat> stock! Um Thoughts on air space between rack gear. Oh, damn. How necessary <laughs> is it from your experience? P as huge fan of the show. Thank you. I'm I a huge fan of you asking this question. Zero so, space between any of my gear. Really? Zero. I got rid of all my spacers five, six years ago. Zero space. It is just gear on gear on gear. Never had an issue. Um, doesn't mean that's good advice. I, what's that? <laughs> I said, doesn't mean it's good advice. I've just never had an issue. I've, so like me personally, this will be more than like a 30 second answer. A lot of my gear runs pretty darn hot. So like the crane song head runs kind of warm. The, the manly very mute when for some reason, well, no, not for some reason. Initially I had the bottom vented when the top needed to be vented and I have a uh, an IR thermometer and like with a little laser on it, and I've measured the front plate on that uh, over 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And so I was like, I'm not really worried about that because it's got tubes and it's built to do that. But like, if there's something above it, I didn't want it doing something to a piece of gear that might make another piece of gear fail. And typically, you have some components that can fail and that are only temperature rated up to a certain degree, no pun intended. So um, I kind of have stuff stacked the way that I like it. I've thought about closing the gaps a bit on some parts, but um, the risks do not outweigh the reward. I think that, sure, you can close up those gaps, but you are going to be risking premature failure 
of some of your gear, especially if you do have tube gear that's heating up some other stuff. That's my hot take on it. Uh, take it for what it's worth. I believe in venting stuff. There's also um, Frank from Fuselage Mastering has sent me um, a few things that he has done, which I think he, I, I can't remember if he's closed the gaps on stuff. I know he has in the past, and he has some of those rack mountable. Um, uh, like like there's three computer fans in the back of it, and they're all I think like magnetically levitating fans and whatnot, and so like they're pretty darn quiet. Um, and he puts those under his Sterling desk, and I've kind of looked at doing that just to kind of like hit the back of the gear. Um, I mean, I also think it's going to probably run better if it's not just like cranking like if each piece of gear is like cranking each other like super hot. So, I mean, everything in, the, in in this chain, like, runs pretty darn warm. So, I don't know. You can do what you want. If you close those gaps, just be careful and be mindful. And if it's, like, so hot that you legit can't put your hand on it, it's probably not good for the equipment either. And so, like, I've had the Hilo that hot. I've had the um, the Very Mew that hot. And it's just, like, this. if it's not, if I can't, like, if it hurts to touch it, then it's probably not good for what's inside. So... And it's what's inside that counts. <laughs> so, okay. Um, last question. We are here. We have arrived. Woo. How do you approach mastering differently for vinyl versus streaming? Uh, I send it to the person who's going to cut the vinyl, let them do everything. I don't do any prep anymore. Yep. Because we're not doing that anything be, productive, really. <laughs> that'd be me as well. Um, it's like, it's going to go to a different mastering engineer to do the vinyl cutting. And if they need to do something, just let them do it. Yeah. Because whatever you are going to do, you're not going to, by trying to make like a vinyl master, if you're not the guy or gal cutting it, you're going to do more harm than good. 100%. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to cut the low end and like cut the top end because that's what they're going to do. It's like, no, they're just going to trim it to their parameters. But... Their parameters take into account for like an RIAA curve mm -hmm. on a phono preamp boosting those frequencies back. So you're just going to have your crappy sounding pre-vinyl or vinyl pre-master. Your vinyl pre-master should just be the master, and then you just trust them to deliver to the format as flawlessly as they can. Right. That's their job. Um, I've also... It, it, this is like overkill of just like something I don't need to own, but... Um, if I don't know why I bought it, it's not cheap. There's a piece of software called Perfect Groove, and if I have a client who's um doing a vinyl master, um, something that I will do, I will upload all this stuff to Perfect Groove, and it essentially creates like a digital rendering of what the vinyl record will look like, and it will display any parts in it that are going to be too sibilant or are going to be too boomy and it is going to sway the cutting head. And you can like physically analyze like the grooves and stuff like that. And so it's like you can see like potentially what issues are going to arise and maybe how quiet something's going to need to be turned down to. Um, but I mean, I think I went a little too far with that purchase because it's like not cheap. But if you're kind of like 
I don't know. Like, if you want to kind of be like a masochist like that, then go ahead and purchase that. I really enjoy it. I like doing it because I like knowing, am I doing something that's going to cause somebody else like a little bit of like a pain in the ass kind of situation? So I do have that that I will check, but do I change anything in general? Not really because, once again, it's you, you got to trust somebody else to that type of work. So, anywho, that was a really long episode. It's great. Like one hour and 10 minutes and a lightning strike. So y'all probably won't hear that, but there was a lightning strike and we got cut off halfway through this. So yeah. And no other questions have come in. Sweet. All right. So I'm going to wrap this up. If you like what we said, give us a thumbs up, likes, stars, share wherever you are. If you wouldn't mind taking a screenshot of this right now and posting it to Instagram, Facebook, wherever Mm -hmm. you share Mm -hmm. your things. MySpace, if you come back, that'd be a great place as well. You can put us as like someone logs onto your page and the Attack and Release show starts playing. That would be sick. <laughs> MySpace, Tom, where are you? Why did you leave us? Hi, Tom. If you hear the sweet beat in the background that was made by the one and only Sam Moses, go ahead and give him a shout, a thank you, a praise. Go send him some cash, some flowers, <laughs> some cash, whatever you want to do. Tips. Um, Tip jar. Yeah. That would be... That'd be lovely if you just told him thank you. He has not repeated the same beat twice, mm. and he is fantastic at making these. Thank you so much for putting these episodes together, bud. So welcome. Uh, if you need a mastering engineer, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For The Record Mastering. Uh, with that said, I think we're signing on out. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having. Have a darn good one. Thank you so much for the questions. Thank See you. Later. you. Bye. Bye.